Hello, my beautiful beanies, and welcome to the Bean for Friday. First with yesterday's news, I and Glenn ZFB were looking back at Thursday. Um, and finally, somebody's woken up to the fact that we might need to use something else instead of jib if we can't get jib. Uh, uh, more four-day week noises are being made, and is Charles the most boring royal of all? We'll have the verdict on that at the end of the pod. At the beginning of the pod, you're going to have to get used to the uh, the name Heiwaka Ekanoa, uh, because that is the new climate change policy, I think. The bare bones of this idea. Every farm GST registered that has more than 550 animals or 50 dairy cattle or 700 bees or 50,000 poultry will have to engage. This is a self-assessment system. It does recognise carbon sequestration on the farm and other emissions cutting efforts. To me, uh, this is kind of a turning point in the discussion, isn't it? It confirms the ag sector recognising it needs to get on the front foot here. Still a long way to go. We don't yet know what the government thinks of this, and already people like Greenpeace have dissed the whole thing. You get the impression that they want to stop us farming altogether and just grow native trees. Uh, maybe they'll grow money on those native trees one day. Bottom line, Hewaka Eke Noa is not necessarily going to be perfect, but it's a kind of a stake in the ground. And I'm always mindful of what my mum said about bashing farmers, something along the lines of how it's rude to talk with your mouth for. In our case, it isn't just four mouths, is it? It's exports. It's a viable economy. Farming is New Zealand's bread and butter, and it does not hurt us to remember that. Um, this is all true. I just wonder if maybe we just start moving out of cows and into soybeans, quinoa, mushrooms, you know, things that you make meat replacements and milk replacements out of. Just, I mean, you know... Don't want to be too controversial. Anyway, um, Tim wasn't the only one with an opinion. Do you have faith it will work? And is it a better option than the emissions trading scheme? Some of the criticism levelled at the recommendations over the last days are due to a lack of detail. That old chestnut. Uh, Waikato Federated Farmers Dairy Chairperson Andrew Raymer said that the scheme was almost the lesser of two evils and his concern is a lack of certainty. He's worried the discounted rate of what, you know, the percentage of emissions attractor charge, that that could keep changing over time to meet the requirements of the 2030 targets. Basically, there are still questions over what that levy would be and how much it would increase over coming years. There are also concerns the calculator or computer system used to calculate the emissions liabilities might not be ready in time. And another concern is whether it's a fair deal for all sectors within farming. Or will some sectors be hit harder than others? Uh, will deer, sheep and beef operations face a greater impact on their bottom line than dairy operators um, under the same levy rates? Some of you may be concerned about the extent to which it represents the true environmental costs of those emissions. You know, are farmers paying enough? The government is likely to make a decision on whether to accept the recommendations by the end of the year. The Climate Change Commission will also give its view on whether the scheme will do enough. But if a form of suitable emissions pricing is not agreed, then agriculture will enter the emissions trading scheme in 2025. The Hewaka Ekanoa scheme certainly looks like a better option than the emissions trading scheme. And it is good to see the agriculture stepping up and getting on board. Uh, sorry for being cynical, but yeah, if we just keep replacing one scheme with another... 
without actually really ever doing anything, is that going to help? Not sure. Um, now, uh, is there a scheme for what to do about the jib shortage? Uh, I, when we first got wind of this, I suggested that we needed to make our own. Uh, but, of course, it doesn't actually have to be jib. We've just become dependent on it, haven't we? What's the quality of stuff you're getting in from Thailand? Oh, it's top-notch. Um, all certified by FGS, which is really the gold standard in independent uh, quality certification. So we've got no, no problem with that at all. Uh, have you got bracing ability with this this plasterboard? No, we've we've got a um, commercial grade construction style. So we've got uh, you know concrete, steel, and brick. So really, the plasterboard for us is only two types: uh, mm. the standard board and the moisture resistant board. The Aqualine. Uh, so we don't need any fireline. Yeah, we don't need. Uh, yes, it's the equivalent of Aqualine, just right. moisture resistant. How much cheaper is it? Oh, well, the standard board's about 20% cheaper and the moisture resistant is about 40%. And about a third of the cost is in freight. Uh, so when freight comes down, those, um, those discounts will be even greater. So do you think that now that you've taken this step in the interim, you might actually do it until in, in the long term as well? <laughs> there is no doubt we will not go back um, to Winstone. Um, you know, we need reliable supply partners. Uh, I've had more than a dozen calls uh, this afternoon from people who have read, you know, the um, the actions that we've taken. And uh, for example, I had the wife of a franchise house builder with uh, ten franchises up and down the country. She was almost in tears at the prospect of there being relief for their company, and maybe they will just survive this because they've been trying fruitlessly for the last six or eight months to get uh, jib board, and it will send them under if they don't find a solution along with hundreds of other companies. Uh, It's going to get worse before it gets better. But you hate it when people say that. Why don't people ever say, oh, it's actually going to get better straight away? Don't worry. Nobody ever says that. Uh, How about, Heather, with that opening, uh, what's the bracing ability of this question? Like, she's been a jib stopper in a previous life. On you. Um... I wonder if she worked the full five days a week when she was a jib stopper or just the four days. It seems like the four-day thing's really starting to gather momentum, doesn't it? Talking about the four-day working week, your thoughts? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, that would be a, an ideal thing for a four-day working week because um, I've been in the driving industry for about 25 years now and mm. uh, always committed to a six-day working week. Trucks but, uh, or other? Are you a, a courier or a truck driver, Kevin? I'm a truck driver. I've, I've jumped from uh, working 100-hour uh, weeks with uh, doing furniture removals, moving people's furniture up and down the country. Yeah. And now I'm in the earth-moving industry. And, uh, okay, the hours are not as, uh, as intensified as like, doing furniture, but um, a four-day week would, would actually be great, you know, because, like what I said, I've been driving for, like, 25 years and, and six days a week, you know, and, and not half-day Saturdays. It's been, like, a full day on a Saturday, like a Monday to Friday. And Yeah, but for you, Kevin, to have a four-day week, you'd have to change industries. Are you prepared to do that? Well, I would if, uh, you know, the living, the living situations with the costings of everything, like rent and food and uh, kids and just living in general, if, if the affordability with the monetary side of things of getting 80% of how much you work, you know, mm. like work a four-day week and get paid it for a five-day week. But yeah. I work six days a week, so how would that cover if, um, if that was ever considered? Oh, yeah, that's a good point, isn't it?
And this is the problem. It was always the problem when, like, when we went from three days annual leave, uh, three weeks annual leave to four weeks annual leave. And I was already on four weeks annual leave. And yet I then didn't go to five weeks annual leave. Just everybody else got the same as me and I wasn't special anymore. Um, yeah, so I was briefly special and now I'm not basically what's happened there. Uh, we're going to finish up with um, Charles. There's nothing much special about him, according to Marcus. The prince I'm talking about. The guy who's going to be the king. So he'll be in charge of... Not so good on royal lineage, but that's all right. But I, I mean, look, I, I'm not saying that Charles shouldn't be king and do what he wants. It's not, a, not out of my call. But it's not going to be a reign I'm looking forward to. Because the guy is as interesting as, I mean, not that interesting. You're going to gather around the TV on Christmas Day and say, Shh, Charles is going to speak. Terrible. Terrible. But, and people that say he's good are just trying to defer to the Queen and the lineage and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, out of everyone, I can't think of a royal that would be worse, actually. I think Edward would be better. I think Anne would be better. I think Sarah would be better. Or Andrew wouldn't, of course, because he's a pest. William would be better. Harry would be better. Megan would be better. Louis would be better. He's the worst of the royals, apart from Andrew. So why you'd put him into, why would you, well, because it's lineage. But it's not like he stepped up and thought, well, I've got, I'm going to be king in 70 years. I'm really going to develop the oratory schools or something. He just kind of pondered around and prevaricated. But that's his thing, eh? I thought William spoke all right, actually. I thought he was good. Who's Sarah? He mentioned Sarah in the middle there. Who, what, what Sarah is in line to the throne? I might miss something. I mean, I know there was a woman called Sarah who was married to one of them at one stage, but I don't think she's going to be king anytime soon, is she? Um, I don't, don't write off Charles before he gets in. He might be one of those sort of... He's, he's just sitting there quietly biding his time. Because you know what a massive greenie he is. Loves the trees. Imagine if he comes in and just tears everything down and plants trees instead. Sort of like a green-thumbed King Midas. Instead of everything he touches turns to gold, it just turns into a tree. You got a bit carried away at the end of the podcast, Nancy B. Rain it in. I am Glenn ZB. I'll be back with you with a weekend edition on Monday. Who knows what will happen between now and then, but I'll have it for you here. Well, some of it anyway. See you then. <laughs>